Hi, thanks for tuning in to the Oliver Manalise Show. I'm your host, Oliver Manalise. On this podcast, we talk to purpose-driven leaders about the obstacles and defining moments that shape them and the actionable insights we can all use to create more meaning, fulfillment, and impact in our own lives. Today, I'm joined by the amazing Irene Pace. Irene is a registered dietitian and author of the book, Eat Like You Teach, How to Reset Your Weight and Reclaim Your Life. She's a speaker with over 15 years of experience, helping people make the changes that matter most. With her confident, easy style, she empowers you to see and leverage the skills you already have to improve your eating, your body, and your life. From advanced clinical work at a lead trauma hospital to helping coach hundreds of women online working with a world-class nutrition company, Irene's unique cross-industry experience shines through in her simple yet effective practical approach. She cuts through the obstacles and confusion holding you back, helping you shape a clear path to success. Irene is a friend of mine who I truly respect and admire, and as someone who's had a back-and-forth relationship with food, I love that she talks about food not just strategically, but looking at how our mindset, emotions, and life circumstances come into play. On the show, we talk about how we use food to self-medicate, our emotional relationship to food, the importance of curiosity and compassion, how much Irene loves donuts, how doing trauma how doing trauma work can affect our relationship with food, and much, much more. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited to share with you my conversation with Irene Pace. Irene, I am so excited to have you on. I'm so excited to be here. It's always funny listening to your own bio, right? It's like, yeah, oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, what is it? What does it feel like? You're a you're a published author, and right before the recording, your next one is about to roll out too. Like, wow, that's huge. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite a journey. A lot of the you know uh, more a lot of the shifts in my focus of work have happened over a really short period of time over the last two years. So it's been um, an exciting adventure with uh, exploring all of the different ways uh, I want to show up for the people that I help. So it's, and then this, where we are now with the shift in the world, it's been interesting times for sure. Yeah. So uh, as of this recording, we're about 60 or so days into life in lockdown, quarantine life. And uh, I think that's affected us in a lot of different ways. And um, I was, I was thinking about the, I heard someone say the quarantine 15 recently. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No one's ever said that to me. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, I haven't even stepped on the scale. Like I guess that's relevant for you, right? For for your, your conversation, your expertise. Totally relevant. And I mean, this has been, when you mentioned my second book, that was the, that was the impetus for it. It's like, oh my gosh, people are in lockdown with food. I need to help. This is, this is, this is where I can help. So the second book came um, and people may think this is a little crazy, but I dictated the second book in about 48 hours straight. Like it just was flow um, and I plugged in, I had an outline of what I, what I think people needed and it just, it just came. So, uh, it's called, and I'm playing with the title a little bit still, but, um, eating from home, how to keep weight off while working remotely. So focused on helping people in that space. So, uh, 
Yeah, the quarantine 15 is real. And it's about, it's not just about the weight, it's about all of the pain that goes along with people getting to that extra 15 pounds. And in quarantine, there's so much uh, of your past that can rise up to meet you when you're in lockdown at home. And that's been part of my own experience in quarantine. And, and certainly the clients I'm working with now, what we're working through with them. And then I know others who I've just had conversations with or been on supporting communities in webinars and calls and hearing what people are going through. It's real. It's real stuff. The, the one thing that not many people anticipate, and I, saw, I warn my clients who crave freedom and want to have more of a lifestyle and transition their business to have more of a lifestyle, the warning I give them is when you have that much more time and space, it actually gives you more time and space to be with your fears. Absolutely. And all the things that you've been way too busy and way too distracted to even look at or sit with, and it's gonna be really uncomfortable. And so I think that that really connects with what you just brought up. We're at home, we're working from home, we're homeschooling, and if you didn't have the benefit of, you know, having that lifestyle business where you are used to, you know, cooking and managing the house and being here all the time, uh, it's, a, it's a tough transition, and I think, we self-medicate, you know, that's your territory, right? Maybe we self-medicate with our food. It's one of the ways, one of the things that, especially during a time like this, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot that's not in our control, but what we can control is the thing that we put at the, at the end of our fork, that's going to give us a specific feeling. <laughs> yeah. And you've hit on so many points there, Oliver, like that when you talk about the shift in routines, for, for those of you who, and those of us who navigate um, managing our emotions with food as one of the tools we use, right? So, because here's the thing it, about food is that um, when you eat, you shift your emotional state. You shift your physiological state and you shift your emotional state when food enters your body. So, food as a solution to pull you out of whatever emotional state you're in that you don't want to be in. It works. Like it's a tool and a solution for shifting your emotional state that works. So if that's something, and usually it's subconsciously that you've been using food in that way, and we can say it's coping, we can say it's, you know, distraction. It can be all kinds of different things, but essentially what we're asking the food to do is change the state we're feeling. Right? So if we've used food that way subconsciously, and now all of a sudden you have food at your fingertips all the time with all of this added stress and the shift in routine has some of the, what I like to call guardrails in your day taken down, right? So by guardrail, I mean, if you were going into an office and you would have meetings or you were in the company of others, you weren't sitting beside a fridge. Those were natural guardrails in your day that would keep you from just eating from morning till night, right? Because you couldn't eat when you were, when you were, you know, hosting a meeting or when you were in the office or when you had um, the eyes of others on you, you would make different choices. So with those guardrails all essentially bowled over and you're now in your house with added stress. And if you're working from home, your desk might be the kitchen table, just, 
you know, right? Like steps away from where you've got cupboards stocked full of all your favorites from Costco, humongous bags that are just calling to you all day long. Mm-hmm. Not to mention we're stocking up for weeks in advance. <laughs> yes, we're buying all the things. There's this, this emotional sense of hoarding and scarcity and lack. And now you're sitting with all of the, the tools that you've had all of this time and used all of these years and not realize that there's a few gaps in the tools that you have to manage this particular situation. So it's, it's almost like this witnessing of yourself. Like people are just watching themselves act out what's going on inside in their eating and, or, or not watching, right? Just waking up with, you know, your elbows deep in a bag of Doritos going, what happened? How did I get here? What's going on? Right. There's this unconsciousness about it. So um, the first piece of the work uh, in any of this, when it comes to, when it comes to anything, but specifically with food, which is my area of expertise is the awareness part, you know, allowing yourself to really see what's going on for you in the day get aware of the patterns see what your the ways you're using food and uh part of the reason part of the reason we we avoid that is because of the way we treat ourselves when we witness ourselves doing something we don't want to be doing right so it's not easy to look at it's not easy to look at. And then, you know, the drill sergeant in your head or the mean girl or whatever your inner critic looks like shows up and is shaming the heck out of you for reaching into the fridge. And, uh, and then, so it's easier not to notice. It's easier to allow yourself to move through the day, not conscious of what you're doing. So um, if you want to make a shift in these things, your practice of being more aware needs to have some compassion along with it as a sidekick. So I often say like, bring your curiosity and your compassion sidekicks to the game. I talk about it in the book as well. It's like, this, these are your buddies on this journey. Uh, curiosity allows you to get into a space where you can bring the compassion along more easily because curiosity says, you know, what, what's going on for me right now? What, what am I asking this food to do for me? Um, what, what happened just before I got here? What was I doing? Was I, you know, um, maybe I just had a tense phone call. Maybe my kid just ground a bunch of slime into my brand new carpet in the living room, right? (laughs) Maybe the dog just chewed something. Maybe like I have, I'm running on low sleep. All the reasons that it makes sense that you're reaching for food help you to get into that place of curiosity and compassion. So even that question, like, why does it make sense I'm reaching for food right now? What's going on for me? And that's um, high level though. I feel like, you know, curiosity and compassion is more of like a higher self mm-hmm. and the more lower self is kind of like, I know at least for me, you know, the awareness piece that you brought up is so important because I went a couple of years without even realizing that I gained all this weight. Mm-hmm. And the first time I, the first time I realized was I looked at a picture of myself from Mexico where I have my belly hanging out and I'm chugging a beer and I was so swollen, like I was stung by a bee, you know? And I was just like, when did that happen? 
I was like asleep. And the lower part of myself, the instantaneous reaction was self-hatred. Like, what the, what's wrong with me? Like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like, oh my God, dis- like disgust. And I feel like it took some evolution to get to the point of curiosity and compassion. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know if you experienced that or... Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely an evolution and it is, um, it's part, part of the, part of the shift that allows that to happen or one tool that can be really helpful to move us into a place of compassionate awareness is, is a bit of recognizing that using food as a tool to, to cope or to solve something for yourself in terms of what's going on emotionally is is a strategy that works and because it works there was a there was a time where you chose that solution and it was a brilliant choice like you're not an idiot for doing that you're not um there's nothing wrong or broken about you in the fact that at some point in your life you didn't have the tools to navigate what was going on for you and you tried food and it worked and so you continued doing it so I often, you know, suggest one thing you can do in that space is invite yourself to forgive yourself for not knowing another way. And then in that forgiveness, it's like, okay, Irene, at one point, this was brilliant and served you. This is what you needed. It got you through something. Eating all the things was a solution and it was a brilliant solution because it worked. You didn't know it, but physiologically you were having the shift in you happen in exactly the way you needed in that moment. Brilliant. Now the brilliance is it served you then. It's not serving you anymore. So celebrate yourself. And that's maybe an extreme comment, but recognize that um, it didn't serve you then, or it served you then. It doesn't serve you now. And in that, you now are are brilliant for deciding that you're going to try to do it a different way and figure it out a different way. So that that transition, instead of staying stuck in the place where you're hating yourself and disgusted with yourself for getting to where you are and and telling yourself all the reasons it's wrong that you were doing what you were doing and all the reasons that you were a bad human, bad person for getting here. How could I do this? I'm smarter than this. I can do all these things in my life. Why can't I do this with food, right? Um, and and be, beating down on yourself that way makes you wrong. And people who feel wrong and incapable are not the people who move through trying new solutions as quickly, right? So if you make yourself right for the decision in the past, you can now make yourself right for the decision to try to do it a different way and begin to figure out what that looks like for you. That really demonstrates how compassion is so key when it comes to your approach. Do you ever feel that sometimes that is also, you know, the, that making ourselves wrong can sometimes serve as an impetus, like kind of catalyze us to be like, like it just wakes us up. And then, and that's also serves us to wake our asses up and then all, you know, to, and actually to move forward, we have to recognize, okay, we can't just be in this place of, you know, beating ourselves up. We have to move towards, okay, well, what's going to serve me now? 
Yeah, and absolutely. You know, there needs to be, in any change we make, right, there needs to be a point of conflict or a point of where, where tolerance shifts or the tension around it is high enough to, to move us into a state of wanting to change it. Because um, as humans, our, our natural tendency is equilibrium, right? Like we want to just, like, let's just same samey everything here. Let's just keep it the same. Let's just, you know, that worked yesterday. Your, your, your lizard brain says, okay, you went to bed yesterday. You woke up again today. Let's just rinse and repeat all the things we did yesterday again today and again the next day. As long as we're alive, that's our threshold. You know, that's lizard, lizard brain's threshold of existence in the world. Your higher level thinking doesn't get to drive the bus a lot of the time, right? So it's, there's, a, there's a neurological rewiring that has to happen, which is where repetition and um, you know, reinforcement of positive changes comes in to allow that to happen more quickly. But the initial, yeah, you're right. Like the initial impetus to wake you up, the initial like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. I want to be, and maybe you don't even know where you want to be, but the clarity you have is that where you are now is no longer where you want to be. It's not serving you. And the tension around that certainly is what can, you know, be the starting point of change. Um, and then once you get into making the change happen, that's where, like you said, I mean, the compassion, uh, I'm thinking like, does it have to come in or is it that it just makes it faster? It, I mean, I think it has to be there at some point because you'll continually, if every time you open awareness, you meet a drill sergeant yelling at you, right? <laughs> You're not going to want to go into awareness a whole lot. And part of you know, funny story in, in part of my journey around this is um, I had signed up when I was doing the online coaching with, uh, with Precision Nutrition. Uh, I was really in a place of wanting to expand my coaching tools. I'm like, this, I, I'd done all the expand my nutrition knowledge stuff for so long. I was like, let's, let's grow in the coaching space. And there was a workshop happening here in my hometown with Kristen Knapp who is, she's kind of like the grandmommy of self-compassion work. And um, she was coming to town. So I'm like, great, I'm going to go to this workshop. And here's me thinking in my, uh, in my blissfully unconscious state that self-compassion was something like, I was good. I got this self-compassion thing down. <laughs> like this workshop is not for me. It's for me to go and learn tools to help my clients. Because my clients have a hard time with self-compassion. Wow, I love right? it. It was so incredible. So we're in this banquet hall style room filled with, you know, I don't know. It was, it was a big room. I want to say over a hundred people at little round tables all over the room. And the whole, the morning part of the workshop was talking about definitions of self-compassion and kind of the, the um, academic -y side of it. And, and there was also, uh, as we moved into the talk about tools, she began talking about the, you know, this inner critic and the mean girl in your head and inner talk and all of that. And for me, I was like, yeah, I don't do that. Like, I've never been someone who stands in the mirror and says, Irene, you know, I hate you. You're horrible. You're stupid. Like, I never had those voices in my head. So here I am like, okay, taking my notes. And then the second part of the workshop, she moved into exercises where she had us all standing 
And she then talked about how your inner critic shows up in your body as a feeling. And she guided us through a number of exercises where she had us bring to mind something uh, that we had guilt and shame around, something that we felt, you know, some fairly strong emotions around, and then guided us through exercises that were like, well, where in your body do you feel that? And, um, and then different postures. So hands on heart, or where do you feel it? You know, you feel it in your shoulder, you feel it in your stomach, place a hand on that place and talk to yourself. It's okay, Irene, I've got you. So we started into this and here I am, Oliver, standing in this room full of strangers. I had a couple of my coaching colleagues with me and I have my hands on my heart and it's just waterworks. I'm bawling like a baby and I'm like, there's my inner critic. She's right there. Like she's not a voice in my head. She's a feeling feeling in my body. And all of a sudden it was like, you know, um, she's a, a look of disgust. She's a turning her back on me because I've done something that I should be ashamed of. She's, and I, even now as we're talking about it, I can feel it well up. So this was a huge aha for me personally, but also in my work with clients, because if you don't think you have an inner critic because she's not, she or he is not a voice in your head, I'd invite you to consider that she or he may show up for you in a different way. And um, so that was a big opening of a number of things for me that day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you know, it's, that's interesting, because when you think inner critic, you think inner voice, inner monologue, right? And you don't think, maybe it's just maybe it's a sensation. Maybe it's a feeling. Yes. And it doesn't have words, and it communicates through another medium. Yes. Wow. All the tools aimed at quieting the inner voice of a critic don't work when your critic is in your body. So if you feel frustrated about these tools not working for you, the, you know, changing the positive, changing positive self-talk and some of these things, like if your critic is a deep gut-wrenching feeling in your body, you can't talk to him or her. You have to move through that in a different way. So, and in the realization about this, and I know you and I have talked about this a little bit more too, Oliver, is, I mean, part of my history includes um, childhood trauma and you know it's not uncommon for people who have experienced trauma in childhood to run into trouble with food you know the the groundwork that's laid in um, in someone who's navigating things in childhood that developmentally you're just not ready to um, to deal with. I mean, you're never ready to deal with those things, but it impacts development in a way that your self-regulation tools around your emotions can be impaired and uh, food can be an easy, easy food can be a solution that makes sense to help you calm the turmoil that's going on inside. So I've seen this show up in clients in the same way. If they've had trauma as part of their past, that this inner critic and, and really so many things show up as uh, in their body as opposed to in their mind. The mind is so full and noisy uh, that 
you know, you're holding these things in your body. So it, there's a big piece here around eating that I think we could do better at helping people understand that if they don't hear the voice, there may be another way for them to get in and, um, and, and you know, and calm that inner critic or ask that inner critic to go and take a seat. I mean, that's part of the tool here is like, I can't talk to that inner critic, but I can say, just come, like, you just come and have a seat over here right now. Thank you. I don't need you right now. So there's other ways to move that that you can't really tap into if you're constantly trying to talk to them and, and it's not working. Right. And this is the part, you know, this is why I really love you and what you're about, because how easy is it to just look at some strategy, mm-hmm. some diet plan? You can just Google search all different diet programs. But if it doesn't get to the heart of the issue, what you're talking about, like, look, 80% of what we're talking about is not the what food to eat. We haven't talked about, you know, the proportion size and how much protein and how much, you know, how much carbs, how much fat. We haven't talked about any of that. Yes. We're talking about your emotional relationship to eating. We're talking about how past trauma has, can impact it. We're talking about your inner critic. And I think, you know, going deeper in that way, it helps. I don't know, is, is this like part of how you look at it is if you can find clarity and heal those wounded parts, it almost just frees you to do the things you, most of us already know how to be healthy and how to do healthy, right? But there's all that emotion, emotional stuff and trauma stuff and wounds and past hurts and shame that gets in the way. Absolutely. And I mean, you hit the nail on the head there in terms of, you know, there's this, there's this knowing doing gap, I call it, right? Like there's this, and I'm a, I'm a beautiful example of this because I studied nutrition for six years, post-secondary education. Like I know my stuff. So if knowing were the solution, I would not run into troubles with food, right? Logically, if it's about knowing someone who studied and made a career out of food and nutrition would not find themselves, you know, in a car by themselves at night, inhaling donuts, right? Like those two things would not be allowed to coexist. So it's not about- Like like, like we're rational beings, (laughs) as if we're just (laughs) computers. Oh, this is is what's rational and logical. That's what I'm gonna do. But you know, when you share that story, um, you have like this viral video (laughs) <laughs> with from um from speaker slam and yeah. you talk about these very vivid moments that i'm just like that was me not was but it kind of is me and i maybe like have a better handle on it but yeah just like the sprinkles down on your pants and like powdery face and inhaling donuts and your arm is deep into the freak to to your chip bag like all of those visions i'm just like oh my goodness like that's that's how it, how it is. We, something just takes over and the logical brain just shuts off. Yeah. And we, sh- we, we create all this struggle around it then, right? Like food becomes struggle. All of these, all of these um, 
situations in life where we feel like we're ambushed by this or confronted by these emotions. It's like, this is where I think the change, this is the change I'm excited about in the food and nutrition world. Like in Eat Like You Teach, I give, I go through five steps when I, in the chapter that I actually talk about, you know, the eating, the eating piece. And of the five steps, we don't get to talk about what's on your plate, like the actual food until step four. So, you know, I'll do, when I do initial work with clients, we, they, it's usually week two or three in where they kind of say something to me, like, we've been doing this for a couple of weeks and like, you haven't told me once what to eat. Like there's no, we haven't talked about meal plans and yeah. Like we talk about the food in context of the bigger picture and, and the underlying principle that really guides my work that came from a mentor of mine, Krista, Krista Scott Dixon, who is one of the um, head honchos at Precision Nutrition. She said, um, every behavior is an attempt to solve a problem, even if it's not the best solution. Mm. And in viewing eating behavior that way, suddenly it's less about, um, it's less about the food and what you're eating and more about what problem are you trying to solve with the eating, right? Like what, this is, you're doing this to solve some problem for yourself. Or, you know, I've shifted that a little bit more to, to think of it as oftentimes we're asking the food to shift our emotional state in some way, take us out of a certain emotional state. And so let's get to the bottom of what's going on there. Like what, what are you acting out in your eating? What is your eating at the effect of? all the things that you're eating is at the effect of. Let's look at that. And then we open this huge opportunity to allow eating to not be a struggle, right? So when, when a craving arises or the, and I like to call it the pull to food, like when you feel that draw, right? I'm being pulled to eat. I'm being pulled to, I'm being pulled into this struggle or battleground with food. When you feel that, if this is now the clue you need to dig into solving a problem, the invitation in that is let's let that pull to food now be a gift, right? It, let it be a gift. Let it be an invitation to stop and drop into a moment of awareness to tune in, to ask yourself what's going on. This is like the, the light on the dashboard saying, Irene, there's something here, like something's going on. And and food is the out, outside more tangible way for you to be drawn into that when, especially when your internal state is, is chaos. Like I can't feel in my body what's going on as easily as I can see that I'm reaching for the donut, right? I'm reaching for a donut and now it's like, okay, invitation, what's going on? Like you, you, the, the tool becomes, and this is, you know, grown out of my own need for this tool is when the pull to food comes, it's now a trigger for me to pause. Instead of pull to food is the trigger to go eat something. It's like, oh, I must be hungry. Right. I must be hungry. Or, you know, another way to think about it is what type of hunger is that? That's a tool that you can use here. And, and what I mean by that is, 
Um, hunger can be what I call stomach hunger, which is like physiological hunger, your need to eat. It can also be um, what I call head hunger or head hunger you can think of as habit hunger. So the thought, the, the pull to eat comes from thinking in some way. It's breakfast, I need to eat. It's noon, I need to have something. It can be a habit like when I sit down and watch a movie, I always have popcorn. So something that's driven from a thought process. And then the third type of hunger, of course, is you got it, right? That heart hunger or emotional hunger that shows up. And in that, you can be like, ah, okay. So if food will take me out of this emotional state, I could eat in response to this heart hunger. And that would solve it in the moment. It's not the best solution, but it would solve it in the moment. Or I could try something else. How else could I nourish this heart hunger hmm. that isn't food? Okay. Wow. That's, that's the tool. That's kind of the, it allows you to drop the struggle because now you don't, you know, you don't hate that pull to food or that craving in the same way, because now the pull to food or craving is a, is this reminder in your day, a built-in reminder in your day to drop into just a moment of awareness. This is like a whole other way to communicate and relate with body sensations. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge because you're the way that you approach it is so much more about connecting with yourself and connecting with your, your body mm -hmm. and not just focusing on what's out there and what's on your plate and just looking outside of ourselves. It's constantly look inside of yourself. Yeah. Like, where's this coming from? You know, I have this question I ask my clients, what's your head saying today? What's your heart saying today? Mm. What's your belly saying today or your gut? And sometimes they all have completely different messages for us. And when you brought that up, that, that's what came up for me. It really reminded me of how important it is to, to realize, wow, there's, there's three different like intelligences. There's like three different um, experiences that are, that are shaping our decision-making process. And you're giving, you're giving like more and more layers for us to be like, okay, you know, at the high, high level, like the top of the iceberg is there's like a, there's a hunger all right, I must be hungry. It must be, oh, it must be time to eat, right? But if you go right underneath the surface of the ocean, you go to the, to the depth of the iceberg, you realize, oh man, I think I'm just operating out of like habitual need. Now it's time to eat. No, maybe I'm, I'm operating out of habitual need because now I'm, I'm with family or it's a party. It's time to eat cake. Or, or maybe if I go a little bit deeper, I realize there's something going on in my heart. Like emotionally, I need to soothe myself. And if you go a little bit deeper, you might be like, oh, you know, that's, it's actually like nutrients. There's real, I'm, I'm craving nutrients. Because you can eat food and not be nourished. <laughs> yeah. And that's an experience I think a lot of people are having right now is this sense that like the, mentally the equation that we're, we're sort of led to believe in a linear fashion is uh, you know, uh, uh, I feel, I feel empty food fills that. Right. So, you know, full, I, I want to get to this state of fullness. And so 
I, I have this hollow, empty feeling. So I eat, I put food in. And when, when it does, you never feel full, you don't get full. There's just, you just continue, you know, empty, put, throw food at it, throw more food at it, throw more food of it because food is, is what fills, fills emptiness. Right. And, and it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't work that way when the emptiness isn't a hollow in your belly. It doesn't work that way when the emptiness comes from something else within you. Um, so the equation doesn't work, but we keep driving at it. And, and again, it's all subconscious, which is where, you know, the compassion, there's so much room for that compassion. If, if you remind yourself that this isn't like a deliberate choice, these things are happening in a way that, um, again, they've, they've served you in some way in the past. And now if you've become aware of the need or the desire to change them, that's you just evolving. That's you now seeing it a different way and that there's a, an opportunity to do it differently. Um, what, what you were saying about the internal versus external is so such a big piece, I think, with food because the traditional dieting industry way of doing it is that we move to, we use all of these external sources of guidance to decide what to eat, how much to eat, when to eat. Like we, we're, we've almost, we've spent a long time training people to use external guidance. So a meal plan, uh, plate rules in terms of what and how much to put on the plate and, um, you know, all the shoulds and shouldn'ts. All the, the scale. The scale, the do's and don'ts rules. And, and for someone who's spent a lot of their lifetime in what feels like a battle with food, the idea to have someone from a more intuitive eating space come along and say, well, just tune into your body. Just listen to your body, right? It's so, there's so many things about that. Even the word- A lot can come up. Yes. You ask someone to do that, a lot can come up. <laughs> like, come. watch out, man. That's right. Like, <laughs> and, and the word just always gets me. Like, anytime I realize I'm saying just, like, it's implied, there's all these layers of implied, like, oh, this is just- That's like just learning how to walk, that. man. Yeah, yeah. That's learning how to, for, for for a lot of us when we before before we're even exposed to such an idea, it's like learning how to walk or like learning how to walk again after being in phys, like being uh, bedridden for two weeks from an accident. Yeah, just like I need to relearn how to use these muscles. It totally is. It's a practice, and and then layer on top of that, if you're someone who spent a lifetime in struggle or battle with food. And now you're being told to trust your intuitive sense. I mean, the message is like, I'm not going to trust. Like, my intuitive sense is what got me into the trouble in the first place. And now you're telling me to listen to her? Like, no way. I'm going to wind up, you know, 400 pounds <laughs> on the sofa if I take the reins off of this. Like, there's this sense of like, of course, no trust. Sense you don't trust your internal senses when you've spent a lifetime feeling like you're battling against them. There's you have to become friends with those again. Like there needs to be a, a belief that you can play nicely. You and your, your inner guidance, your inner compass can play nicely together and that you, it can actually lead you in the right place. And, there, and, and in that, we need to, you know, we need to set up some scaffolding or, or, or you know, guidance. We need to use some of the external guidance stuff to help along that transition otherwise it's just like pulling the rug out from somebody and saying you're not allowed to use any of those external cues anymore you have to do all internal and 
you know, again, when I moved to this space of, of um, people like myself who've had trauma in the past, like the inside space can feel like absolute chaos at times. And your sense of being able to pay attention to that has deliberately been, you've deliberately learned from a survival point of view to not pay attention to your internal cues. Mm. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to move through life paying attention to what's going on. I mean, I remember a period of time um, in, it was in 2016 when I was at the height of some emotional, uh, personal shifts happening for me and uh, I was in trouble with food. This is where the donut story that arrived, that, you know, for Speaker Slam came from. I was in this space where I was witnessing myself use food in a way that I would spend the entire day helping people not do these things and then witness myself all night. Like, I, as soon as the kids were in bed, it was like in the kitchen, this, you know, uh, impulsive sense to, to eat. And, and the, this is where you know, I was using food as a tool to try to shift an emotional state that I didn't have the capacity to manage. I couldn't deal with all of what was coming up in any other way. And so food became the tool. And at that time, of course, still in total denial that what I needed was help with food and then also help with the underlying things that were going on. I'm like, I'm going to get a personal trainer. Like that was my first step to get help was I'm going to get a trainer. It feels safe. It makes sense. It's not me acknowledging that as a dietitian, I have this massive integrity gap right now that I'm eating all the things while I'm helping others not do that. So it was safe. I got a personal trainer. And in working with him, he would cue me into body, you know, body types of awareness things. And one of them, that was one of the very first things that I remember, I just didn't get it. He talked about planting your feet into the ground. So like root your feet into the ground before you do any kind of lift or you're bracing or whatever. And I didn't get, I, I would say to him, I don't know what you mean. Like, I, I don't know what you mean. I can't feel, I can't feel my feet in the ground, like what you're talking about. And, you know, fast forward to where I am now having, uncovered and done a lot of really deep trauma work to uncover things at that time I didn't even know were part of my history. And I remember the moment I first felt my feet in the ground. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what he means. And one of the things that happens in response to trauma is you dissociate from your body. And it's not this always this mass dissociation. It can be in very small, subtle ways. And I realized I, I couldn't feel my feet because there was a level of dissociation going on. And for some people, food is a way to feel something or to try to feel something. So it can be used in that way as opposed to trying to shove down emotions that are going on. Food can be a tool that you use to try to actually feel something. Elicit. Yeah, illicit feelings. So it's, it can be, uh, if, you, if you are kind of brave enough just to open up your awareness to what your relationship with food is like and how it shows up in your life and all of those patterns, it can be this wonderful 
tangible external guidance system that is connected inter that connects the external and internal space in a way that you may not have the capacity or capability to do if there's reasons that you've been disconnected from your body in some way. So instead of just asking yourself to learn to be intuitive, which feels so foreign to someone who is so disconnected with their body, food gives you a really tangible way to tune in. So um, like in meditation, we use the breath, right? So a lot of times when you're doing a meditative practice or you're new to meditation, you'll be guided to pay attention to your breath coming in and out. And even that can be really frustrating for people starting out. Like you can do it for a couple breaths and then your mind is off somewhere You've been else. doing it for years. <laughs> yeah, wait, <laughs> I'm trying to focus, trying to feel the breath. And so um, food can act like that. As in, food can act like the breath in that you have to eat. You know, it's, it's, an essential um, component of being human. So we all have to do it just like breathing. And with, with food though, the, the awareness that can come from food can be so much easier to spot than the breath. Like it's not as subtle as the breath when you're actually physically seeing yourself reach for something or feeling the sensation of food in your mouth can be so much more um, tangible than using the breath. So in this way, what I, you know, what I'd love to see in terms of our relationship with food and this vision I have of where we're going with this is that food now becomes this, this on-ramp to, to mindfulness or, or this, this way to connect ourselves to the internal space, especially for folks who have a harder time doing that for whatever reason. Food can be a way to bring you into mindfulness. Um, where you otherwise might really struggle with some of the more traditional or formal ways to get yourself into a mindfulness state or practice. So, yeah, I kind of went off on it. No, no, I, that's, that was one of the things that I wanted to talk about with you actually is mindfulness and presence because just, I think it's, it's one of the things that's so common where people don't even taste what they're eating. Mm-hmm. I mean, I eat pretty fast. Yeah. And I still, you know, I, I love cooking. I love eating. I cherish my food. I sometimes pray over my food. And I, you know, there are times where I like, I try to be really mindful of all of the people that had to be involved for this food to be on my freaking plate, just to have some reverence to just be sacred with it. So it's like, it's a conscious act, right? But to be mindful to like really slow down and just be with the food. Um, it's like, it, it goes completely against like years and years and years of training and conditioning. And I think, you know, when we include that, the idea of, okay, you know what, maybe me interacting with my food, this thing that provides me with sustenance, it's an opportunity for mindfulness. It's an opportunity to be present, not just to, you know, just to scarf something down because like it's, it's delicious and I'm craving something and I want to get that hit. But just, you know, even if, even if it is like one of those cheat meals, now how many people, how many people have cheat days or cheat meals, but they don't even enjoy it. I'm just like, if I'm going to have a, if I'm going to have a cheat, I'm going to be like, so, 
present and so mindful because I'm like, this is, I'm making a conscious choice. Like this is not out of some reaction or some, like I'm trying to cover up for something. This is just like, you know what? Every once in a while, I'm going to enjoy this chocolate croissant, let's say, right? <laughs> yeah. And you know, the, the word cheat in and of itself, yes. it, it, you know, right away, I'm like, oh, it just reminded me that, you know, part of the, part of this, this process and shifting has so much to do with language. I mean, language impacts us in so many ways. It's, it's connected to how we view things, what we think about. And, and, you know, you may notice if when you and I chat or at, at, you know, as you listen back to this and things, I, I never say good and bad. I always talk about things being an invitation and even the language around food that is like cheat days and good, bad things. And, and all of that, right. It, it connects your eating behaviors to like your moral place in this world somehow. Like I'm not a good or bad person. <laughs> it's like an ethical question. Did not eat a donut. Like, I'm a good person who chose to eat a donut or maybe subconsciously yeah. landed in a box of donuts. But it's, you know, um, the language is so important too in how we view ourselves and our relationship with food. And when, when you talk about something like a cheat day, it reminds me one of the, one of the tools in this is permission. Just like you were saying, like I can choose to eat this thing and enjoy it. And, and because of all of the layers of external you know, noise around eating, we get to a place where we, we've allowed ourselves to believe that we should or should not have things or that we were good or bad if we do or don't have things. And really, if we, if we can come back to the place that, I mean, you're a grown-ass adult, right? <laughs> I'm a grown-ass adult. If I want to eat something, it, the choice to do that is 100 and fully percent. Like you know, be the one eating it. It's not, fully not letting it eat you. Yeah. And permission can be this tool that can have really magical effects because I can't count the number of times that when we played around with a permission tool with clients, it, you know, they come out saying, I can't believe I didn't, I actually am eating less of the thing. Like it, you're making it a choice. It's making it a choice and allowing you to know that eating the thing is equally on the table with all of the other choices that you have before you. So even if you move through this head, heart, stomach hunger exercise and you're like, okay, what type of hunger is this? I'm here to pause. What's going on for me? Oh, it's heart hunger. Okay. Heart hunger. What could I use to nourish myself? I could call a friend. I could take a bath. I could go for a walk. I could eat a donut. Like they're all equally on, they're, they're equal on the stage in terms of the permission you have to choose any one of those. Is one maybe a better choice for you than the other? Sure. Is one maybe a better or worse choice for you in the moment, in, the, in that given moment? Maybe. Maybe you want to choose the donut that time and you have full permission to do that. As soon as you mm. get that permission, you may find you choose the donut less. You've like quieted the inner toddler in you that feels like, you're in this place of deprivation or There's so much more freedom in that so much more freedom and power. Yeah. You have like, you know, yeah, the donut isn't controlling you. You're, and I love that it's donuts, which, you know, whatever, that's my thing. Well, you know, and, and, you know, fortunately with quarantine, Krispy Kreme has like a three hour drive through lineup. 
I literally, I, I'm like, my parents live near there and I drive by just to see, cause I'm like, if it's short, I'm going to go like, I'm going to get like a half a dozen. Um, and then it's like, okay, I'm not, it's not worth waiting that long. It's kind of crazy. But, um, the funny thing is, do you ever have people who they, they give themselves permission, but then they still afterwards feel terrible. Like they be, it's like, if you gave yourself permission, you gave yourself permission. Like you, you got, you got to enjoy, like you got to enjoy your choice, whatever it is you chose, but to not let yourself have it after the fact by beating yourself up. It's like, it almost, it just it kind of, it hurts. Like it just hurts me just hearing that. I was like, Oh, you, like you were going, you chose it. You were free to choose and you gave yourself permission. And then after it, you still, you know, went after yourself and made yourself wrong for it. Do you, do you come across that? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's, as I'm sure you see, right, it's an evolution. It, it's a, it's a growth, right? You're, you're in the business of growing, um, growing new capability and, and, and uh, it takes practice and you don't just get it all, all at once. And, and especially with food, you don't just get it all by reading about it. And this goes back to the knowing mm. thing, right? Like in order to make changes in your eating, you have to actually experience the stuff. Like change happens through experience. You discover what works through for you through experience. You cannot think your way to the solution in this. You can't, it's impossible. You can try and you can read a book and you can try to then follow the thing, but your solution is unique to you because the underlying things that you're eating is at the effect of is unique to you. Yes, there's a toolbox of things that I or someone else in this space or you can give your clients, right, around how to, what to try to see how you can navigate this thing differently. But at the end of the day, you have to try the things. You have to eat the donut. You have to experience the shame you feel after giving yourself permission in order to see, mm. ah, there's now, a mindfulness, there's the next piece of my work. So I've got this permission thing down and now let, what's the next layer? Well, I'm still feeling this way after I eat. You wouldn't have known that if you hadn't experienced it. And so this is where, uh, this reminds me of the idea too, with food that we have where we're on or off track right? This is such a common thing. I'm on track. I'm on off track. I'm getting back on track. I'm, <laughs> and, and the, you know, the, the idea so that arbitrary, I'm, like what's that? it's Monday. I'll start over again on Monday yeah, or the <laughs> new week. month. You got it. Friday's coming. I'm just going to, you know, eat my way through till Sunday and then start again Monday. And this whole idea that, you know, of a track that there's actually a track for this. And I, you know, the invitation that I, I, uh, you know, one of the early invitations here is what if there were no track? Like, what if the reality were there were no track? If there were no track, you couldn't be on or off. It's impossible to be on or off if there's no track. What if all of these things are what figuring it out looks like? This is all what figuring it out looks like. And all of these things, the, the times that you eat the thing and you don't, the times you feel the shame and you don't, are all necessary for you to figure out this thing for yourself. And 
that goes, I mean, that tool goes beyond food. I, I've used that one and you and I were chatting in terms, you know, to flip to the business side of things a little bit more. Um, I've used those tools in the figuring out of how to navigate my business with the same sense of permission to, to have the things about myself that, you know, others, the, if you were using an external guide to say a business looks like ABC and a person who is good at business or has a functioning business has XYZ, these are the systems, these are the, the this is what it looks like. I gave myself permission to throw all of that out and, and then began moving from a place of this is what figuring it out looks like. And I've tried things and they haven't worked and I've tried things and they have worked. And, um, and that same tool has been, has been fantastic in navigating the business world with that same kind of idea, getting rid of the, the template that we, you know, so easily can believe we should be following in order to be successful. Yeah, that, that grants permission as well, right? It's almost just like wh wherever you end up, that's the path. <laughs> like wherever you are right now and whatever step you take next, whatever choice you make next, you're on the path. There's no off the path. It's all the path, right? It's um, all the path. Yeah, it's all the path. I want to ask you something that I think is difficult for for a lot of people which is the the tribal and relational aspect of eating mm. where we're working on this and healing ourselves and um, being more experiential and mindful about the sensations that show up and how it affects our food choices and giving ourselves permission and then you're with family and then it's thanksgiving and then you're with your friends and it's a birthday party and you're at a bar and you're at a restaurant and you're at a pub. Um, the, the aspect of having, when you're, when you're like the one person who's putting the effort and the investment into transforming yourself in this way, you stand out and you you really stand out in your group. If no one else is in that mindset, um, it's very, I find it, in my experience, it's very difficult to stay consistent and still be in integrity. It's like you're putting yourself in an, envi in an environment where you're most likely going to make choices that are not, a not aligned with what you're trying to accomplish, or you're more easily seduced by, by the people around you. Uh, so what do you have to say about those relationships and the nature of those types of gatherings yeah and it's a challenge a very real challenge absolutely and the there's a a few different pieces to it and one is your own identity right and what you believe about yourself in terms of how you relate to the world and then um there's the uh the consistency of that identity that others expect of you so for instance you know if you were if you were the party animal through most of your time with this particular group of people or your friends and you were the one who was like you know funneling funneling <laughs> at the party and like you know uh you always or you know for some women you're always the one who brought the delicious baked goods or when you hosted at your house it was always like a spread of all the things that are 
you know, all the rich desserts and wines or all, um, or you're the one who would be in the, you know, the burger and fry eating contest at the local pub. Like, so there's this identity that you have of yourself that is one that, you know, part of the work is to give yourself permission to change that, that that is not something that's actually fixed. And, you know, this shows up in a really funny way with folks who have been told from a young age from their parents, usually that they're a picky eater. Right. So I've had, I can't count the number of times I've had like a super successful grown ass man sitting in the desk or sitting in the seat across from me, right? In his suit, just come from something, whatever. And, and we start talking about food and he'll say like, like it's a five-year-old voice. Well, I'm a picky eater. I've always been a picky eater, right? And I'm like, you were handed that identity by your parents at age, from age of three, four, five, and you're now 40 something, 50. And that identity has stuck with you your entire life. So when you, when I'm presenting, you know, when we're talking about options of different things to try or different things to eat, the answer is, well, I'm a picky eater. So I probably wouldn't like that. So identities like that stick to us around food and in in the situation you're talking about around how we socialize with food. So the Mm. first piece of that is is going through just, again, awareness. So we always get to start with just tuning in and saying, well, what are all the stories I I believe? And sometimes people react to the idea of stories, like it's something that, you know, they've intentionally made up or, you know, but it's more about what, what are all the things that um, I believe about my relationship with food or how have I navigated these situations in the past? Like do a, write it down. Like I am the what person, I'm the party animal person. I'm the what, you know, all those things and explore what those stories are for you. And then um, it also gives you a picture of, what the other people in your life are going to expect from you. So there's a, there's a navigating of this in a way that, that it helps to remind yourself that um, nobody else can feel what's going on inside you. The shifts that are happening, the inner work you're doing, the only way they know is when they see you behave differently or if you verbally tell them that something is changing because you feel different they don't, there's nothing that they can see in you uh, mm. that, that signals to them that that's different. And then you're behaving differently. So um, in terms of how to navigate this, oh my gosh, we could probably spend an entire talk about it. But some tips to start with, I think, are those that are closest to you. If you're, if you're moving through a change and it feels like um, they could be on your team supporting you through that. Share with them where you are and see if they can kind of um, get on board with supporting you in those situations. Uh, in terms of, of language, again, it's really helpful to have some scripts that you say when you're, especially for the food pushing kinds of things, right? Um, because what we often do is we're still battling with our, our identity in this place. And so someone offers us something and the answer is, oh, I really shouldn't, or I'm on a diet, or I'm watching what I'm eating, or all of those answers um, leave openings for people to push. 
right? So some phrases that can work a little better are um, trying just, I don't want that right now. Like don't, don't just, you, there's no reason for you to justify your choice. And if people are used to you justifying your choice, that's going to take a little bit of a shift for them to adjust to. But no thanks, I don't want that right now. Looks delicious, but I don't want that now. Um, yeah, not like, oh, I'm in a program and I'm yeah. doing this. Yeah, yeah, got yeah. it. Because then you open space for them to push back. Um, another one is if they are pushing, this is a question that it takes some practice to say if you tend to be more on the people pleasing side of things or if food is like, uh, you know, I always do this and everybody feels more, more comfortable when I eat because then everything's just how it's supposed to be. Um, but if someone's really pushing, you can ask them, well, why exactly is it, you know, why is it so important to you that I eat this? <laughs> why exactly does it matter to you that I eat this? Wow, that's, you, I feel like that's a place of power to ask that question. Yeah, and it's kind. I mean, you're not calling them a jerk. Yeah, yeah. Like, why? I'm just curious. Like, why is it important to you that I eat this? It's very eye-opening, though. Right, because the other person's probably in their head, they're going, because I should be doing it, too. And I want to be like, it's all their <laughs> stuff. It's always their stuff that has them pushing food on you. Like, it's just, you know, our human interactions, we're always a mirror for each other's stuff, right? So in the food side, when you're going into those spaces, it helps to, to prep yourself a little bit to, to, to acknowledge the fact that this is, there's going to be challenges in this. I'm going into this restaurant. I'm going with these people. They have this expectation of me. I'm not doing it that way anymore. How can I love myself in this space? How can I stay in integrity in this space what would that look like for me here and if you can bring an ally on side you can say to them listen i'm doing this thing and you know you know um joanne's gonna try to get me to eat the stuff and i don't want to like can you just run defense for me when i get in it with her like can you just like you can use all kinds of tools and get creative how does it serve you to um you know what would serve you to navigate it in a way that um helps you, you know, uh, helps you continue to move forward with what matters to you. And talking about what matters to you can be uh, another way that is confronting, but can be confronting in a, in like, you, you know, it's a powerful position, but not unkind to say, mm -hmm. it really matters to me that I, you know, uh, get my cholesterol down or that I, whatever. And, and it, if someone who cares about you tries to move you away from something that matters to you, the language, you know, it, it, maybe they don't need to be your friend anymore. Which is yeah. That's the tough, right? that's a tough conversation to have, but in, yeah. in some cases abstaining, you know, like it might be the equivalent of just don't bring chips in the house. So you don't eat it. So yeah. abstain from certain friend groups so you don't act the same way or you don't yeah. follow, it, follow in their habits. Again, it's not making them wrong, but it's about your path and, and what you're choosing. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. It is a difficult one. And, and the tool you talked about in terms of abstaining or, you know, not having the chips in the house, avoiding those uh, interactions, especially when you're in your most kind of vulnerable place of early change. 
right? With, you know, the courage yes. phase where you've just stepped out into this change and you know there's still all kinds of old pieces of you tugging at, tugging to pull you back into your, your old way of doing things. Um, you're a lot, you're more vulnerable in that place to, to more easily land in the way you used to do things. The other way to do it is use it as a, use it as an exploration, use it as a go in and say, I'm just going to dial the curiosity way up in this situation. I'm going out for dinner with these guys. How am I, how will I, I, I want to dial the curiosity up around what is my experience of this situation now compared to what it would have been before and go into it, allow yourself permission to make whatever choice you want to take, make in the moment. And, and the, the win or the goal of the night is that you're super curious about everything you choose, every interaction with everybody else. And you're, you're just, you're noticing all of the things and something will come from that for you in terms of what this next step is and how you want to move through that space you know there are profound implications to doing this kind of work that you suggest mm. and i wanted to get your thoughts on it because the way um the way you you describe it it's very much about self-awareness and self-knowledge and embracing parts of yourself that you may not have wanted to look at or might be really uncomfortable to look at and allowing yourself to kind of heal those parts. And also it's, it's about really feeling more powerful about your choices and who you're being and what you are putting into your body and how you're choosing to, to live your life. And I see that as a huge opening for people to start thinking about what they really want for themselves and, and realizing there's so many, you know, friend groups or relationships or jobs or even the location of where they live that doesn't serve them um, or just being like, I'm all about aligning with our purpose, like discovering our purpose. I feel like what you're talking about can free us up to, to build ourselves up and be in that space of, well, what do I really want to give to the world? Like, what is my place on this planet? What, what's your experience with that for yourself and maybe with your clients? Yeah. Um, it is, it's big work. It absolutely is big work, you know, in terms of the impact it has beyond just what you put on your plate. You know, it, it's tied into all of those other things about what matters to you in your life, how you choose to live your life. Um, one thing that came to mind as you were sharing that is um, because you have to eat every day, your your relationship with food or how you how you approach food is intimately tied to how you experience your life so if food for you is struggle which at one point it was for me when i was on this journey then i'm committing to struggle every day in my life i'm committing to struggle if food is struggle life is struggle because i have to eat so in allowing in moving into this work, food can be, like you said, it can be this on-ramp to exploring a bigger, uh, a bigger idea about how you want to live your life. How do you want, how do you want your life to feel to you? 
what do you want your experience in your everyday life to be? Because if food is struggle, life is struggle. So for me, um, it, it was in a met, it was in a meditation. I was doing a guided meditation that one of the freight, one of the statements that was made as they were talking you through things, it said, your life is supposed to feel good to you. And I was like, I literally was like, wait, I didn't get that memo. Why didn't I get that memo? What do you mean? Life is supposed to feel good to you? I thought life is supposed to be hard and struggle and things that matter require you to work for them. And they like, and I was like, that was like a massive, that one sentence has been a, a, a something I've hung on to and have, you know, in terms of purpose, it's like, okay, if my life is supposed to feel good to me, because what else would it supposed to, like, what else would you want it to feel? Yet we don't engage in life or make choices in ways that we believe that to be true, that my life is supposed to feel good to me. So how can I eat in a way that feels good to me? How can I work in a way that feels good to me? How can I help others discover how to move through life in a way that feels good to them? Um, in terms of purpose, what's come to me more recently in the last, you know, really in the last six months to year, as I've done a lot of my own deeper work around, around trauma is realizing just how much um, people like myself who's, who've had trauma in childhood uh, struggle with food. And so I'm starting to see that I can help bridge that gap for people. And the number of times that I have someone coming in and starting to work with me, it's like, you know, the universe works in funny ways. They come in and I, and I don't know they've had trauma, but they've signed on to work with me. And as we start doing the work, at some point, there's a sharing of what, as usually as we're talking about what is your eating at the effect of, and I start, you know, inviting them to consider all the different things that happened in their life that might be that thing. And then a trauma comes up and they've never once considered that that trauma, their eating is at the effect of that trauma now in their adult life. The connection just isn't there. So in terms of purpose, I'm realizing that I think there's a bigger message here to allow people to see that connection and then begin to heal both of those things um, with permission to realize that some of the things that are hard about their eating are as a result of something else. So it's not because they're a bad person. It's not because they suck at discipline or have no willpower. It's because they're wiring the way their nervous system works. All of those things have been impacted by something else. So let's look at that something else and we can heal the, we can heal the current challenges around food and all that comes when eating is a struggle for you in terms of how you experience your life every day. So um, that's kind of in terms of purpose, my own piece. And certainly I don't do the purpose work specifically with clients like you do, um, but just exploration of all pieces of your life kind of come when you do this kind of work. You kind of can't not once you open up awareness. You can't unsee some of these <laughs> things, right? You can pretend it, you're going to ignore them for a little while, but you can't unsee them. Um, so does that, I, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. Okay. yeah. It's so, it's like, it's so 
deep ingrained in us that it's invisible. And then when you finally bring it up to be, and you're conscious of it, you cannot not see it anymore. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is what's been driving all of my actions and my behaviors for such a long time. And it was just so natural. And there was so much, you know, momentum from all these years of my life that it's, it seemed invisible. Like I never saw it, but it takes, you know, uh, you know, working with somebody like you to really bring that out and pull that out. I love it. Yeah. And, and, you know, why does it make sense? I love that. Mm. You know, I love that exploration in terms of making sense because it brings the compassion it, it's it, it opens the door for compassion when you're telling yourself not all the reasons that you're wrong, but all the reasons it makes sense that you're doing mm-hmm. or engaging in the behavior you're doing or, or whatever, whatever the thing is. If I tell myself it makes sense, then suddenly you almost get this settling down that allows you to navigate more, mm-hmm. not from that kind of lizard brain, but more from your higher self. Um, because it makes sense that I was doing that and now it makes sense that I'm looking to do something else that's huge because it's it moves us from a place of resistance to acknowledgement acceptance not like acceptance like it's okay but it's it's like instead of making ourselves wrong we see oh wow at some point you know I started doing this and behaving this way and using using food in this way because of what happened in my childhood what happened in my life this is what I was coping with. This is what I was, this is how I was self-medicating, how I was self-soothing. And then when you have that kind of first domino, everything starts to make sense. You're like, ah, oh, like I'm not crazy. There's nothing wrong with me. I did this because it made sense for a time. This is what I used. This is what I used to make sure I felt like I could survive what I was going through. Yeah. I Irene, you're, the the depth and the warmth and the level of care that you have in the work that you do um like i'm so inspired by it it goes you know like we've we've spoken for an hour and a half and we have not once once talked about food itself like what to put at the end of your fork do you want to leave it that way is that like because we could leave it that way if you you know and i think it would actually be perfect because it actually we're speaking to a deeper conversation, something that's not always so obvious for everybody. When you just do a Google search, when you're just looking at, like, I love what you said, you can't learn your way through this. You have to experience your way through it. So um, what, do, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I, I mean, it, uh, it's not uncommon that, I have a conversation and not talk about the food and what's on your plate because it is further down the steps of healing in this. It's, and you know, one of the best guiding principles, if you're looking for a starting point to say, well, how do I know what to put on my plate then? I think most of like we were saying, there's no shortage of information about that out there. You can Google search that and get a whole bunch of different ways. And if the question then is, well, how do I know which one to choose in terms of how do I eat? Do I follow a paleo? Do I do intermittent fasting? Do I like, right? Which is a common question. That's on my list. Yeah. Which one, what do I do? Um, so in terms of that, the, the, the answer to that is do what works for you. 
So if you ask yourself that question, how is this working for me? That's all that matters. And it doesn't matter how it worked for you or how it worked for the guy beside you or the woman at the office that lost 40 pounds or the Or even how it worked before. Pardon? Because and maybe even how it worked for you before. Because if yeah. it worked, maybe it worked for you before. And right now, that's not the same thing that's going to serve you. Like how you want to move forward right now. It might be a completely different way of orienting what's on your plate. Yeah. Is that accurate too? Yeah, we do that so often with food. It's like um, we. It's like we're. It's like we're using an outdated version of an owner's manual right? Like this is, this is Irene in 2020 and I'm pulling out the manual from 2010 and it's not working. It's like, why is it not working from the <laughs> iPhone 4 to the iPhone 11? If I'm using the iPhone 4 manual for the iPhone 11, why is it not working? And, and we allow ourselves to, to then feel something's wrong or broken with us because the thing that used to work isn't working anymore. But the logic of course when you, when you allow yourself to step into, well, does that really make sense? No, you know, I was, my job was different. I didn't have kids. I wasn't in a partner. I wasn't married. I wasn't in a partnership. I lived in a different place. Food was accessible in a different way. I liked different things. My body was different. There's a million reasons why that version that used to work for you. And people go back as far as when they were in the u university or high school, right? Well, this worked when I did this. And the, the thing is, I mean, trying harder at what is not working is never going to work, right? You have to try different. So when it comes to food, remember, just like you have permission to do, uh, to eat whatever you want, you also have permission to follow a diet in any way you want. So if you want to inter intermittent fast and you want to fast for four hours, you get to make those rules. If you want a keto, but you want to have bread, keto with bread if it works for you. Like you get to create your life in a way that feels good to you and in a way that works for your body. So we get so hung up on following a specific thing to the T, which is then where we end up. Again, that's outside in. Yeah, right. Outside in, we throw it out. We say we're off track. This doesn't work for well, me. Well, that didn't work. Yeah, yeah. That didn't work. Throw but that what out. pieces of it did work? There was some piece of that work. Was it the eating more vegetables? Was it the, I didn't have to decide what breakfast to have this morning because I just knew I would wake up and eat this thing. And that thing felt good in my body and my day started off well, then throw out the lunch and dinner of that plan and do the breakfast because it worked for you. And then start building out from there and figuring out well, what lunch works for me. Maybe I don't have lunch. Maybe that's what works for best for me. And I eat at three o'clock and this is what, like build out what works for you. And I think and the, the cornerstone of that is that you're coming from a place of, you're experiencing your relationship with food. You're understanding where it comes from, the source of it. What is that? Was it? What is it at the effect of? How you know? What are you giving yourself permission to? And so, if you have that inner guidance system more and more developed, you become more and more sensitive to what choices you're making. And it's it's almost like from the inside out, you begin to align yourself in a completely new way, as opposed to forcing yourself. Yeah. 
huge. And if it's really important to you right now, get help. Yeah. And I'm not saying help like it has to be me. I'm saying get help for whatever thing matters most to you right now. I mean, on this last journey, I've had psychologists and social workers and spiritual healers. And I went on retreats like you and I have both been involved with Philip McKernan's work. And, you know, the, the things that matter most to me right now, I've learned the lesson that if I want to fast track this thing, then help is the way to go. And maybe it's a support group of some type or, or connecting with a friend. But if you get outside eyes on the challenges that you're working through, because you can't solve a problem with the same brain that created it, right? Like there has to be a mental shift in there or a mindset shift of some nature to allow you to move through the world in a different way, experience the world in a different way and do the wiring of your brain, you know, neural pathways and default ways of doing things to allow that to happen. And sometimes, a lot of times, just having some external eyes on that piece that you're working on right now that matters most most to you is going to allow you to move through it in a way you could never have thought of all on your own. So there's a permission in that too, right? Give yourself permission to get help or to ask for someone to hop in the passenger seat of this ride that you're at the wheel of, you know? So. Well, Irene, I want to be respectful of your time. I have a few more rapid fire style questions left. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What's something that is easy for you but to others seems impossible. Hmm. Easy to me. Easy to me now is um, doing my health-related practices in tiny chunks. So um, I'll do a 10-minute workout. If I can't do a 10-minute workout, I'll do five push-ups in the kitchen or I'll, you know, that kind of thing. Um, with the eating, it's, it's, not being in the all or nothing space, like being okay to see and play in that huge amount of space that's mm. between doing everything perfectly and doing nothing at all. So I've become by necessity, I think, a bit of a master of that, that space between all and nothing when it comes to my health and, and fitness. What's something that you believe that other people think is crazy? Oh, well, that, I think, I think some people think that that's crazy. Like, how can you maintain your health and fitness with just these tiny bites? But um, what do I believe that others think is crazy? Um, hmm. Jeez, Oliver. Um, I think, you know, even believing that, um, even believing when I talk about that eating is a solution that makes sense and that there was a brilliance in you deciding to eat to solve something for yourself. I think that sounds like crazy talk to some mm. people who aren't ready to, um, to move through the problem or the challenge that way. Yeah. What's the best book you've read that no one knows about? Oh, 
um, that no one knows about. I mean, like, I mean, like it's one of those, yeah. you had to hear it from somebody. Someone had to tell you about it. Yeah. Okay. So someone had to tell me about um, letters from a young poet, which is mm. by um, uh, Rain. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to get the name wrong. Rainer Maria Rilke, Rilke by Rilke. And it is, uh, it's from a long time ago, 1900s or earlier. And it's a series of letters that were written back and forth between two men. And, um, and the person sending the letters, the letters in the book are about uh, life. And uh, they're written beautifully because it's from someone who was a poet and there's yeah it's there's I was I'm like I'm looking at it over on my desk yeah. like, should I grab it and like but um, that was one that was shared to me by Angela Loria who was uh, the coach that helped me through the writing process of my first book and and the second one and uh, it's just a powerful book with all kinds of lessons about life that you can just read over and over and over again. What's something that you do for fun that others would be shocked to know about? Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> um, I love, um, I love assembling Ikea furniture. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a few friends who we have sort of jokes about that. But I don't know what it is that it's so satisfying. Not like I do for fun, like I'm just going to order something because I want to assemble something. But when I have reason to assemble furniture or um, do that type of manual project, uh, I love it. So there it is. It's out there. In the I love world. it. What would be the three pieces of advice best pieces of advice that you would give yourself to the you six months from now? Who six months from now? Yeah. To the future you. So advice I would give future me. Yeah. Okay. Um, like a maybe it could be like, Hey, I read remember like yeah. watch out for this thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. okay. um, so the first one would be, remember uh remember to forgive yourself and that's work that i'm moving through right now is really realizing i think all the ways i haven't fully forgiven myself for um i don't know for mistakes or choices or things that probably weren't even my fault looking back but that i hold responsibility for things that aren't mine to hold and and forgiving myself for those um uh don't forget to oh, don't forget to don't forget that you don't have to do it alone don't forget that's when i seem to cycle through especially on the business side it's like the 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 i don't know the mentality that it's somehow a sweeter reward if i accomplished it all on my own that's you know a false, false belief. So a reminder that it's better. It's better if you do it as a community or with support. You don't have to do it alone. Um, and a reminder that 
uh, along those same lines, a reminder that those who are offering help want to give you that help. So mm. a receiving, I think a receiving is part of the practice right now that it's easy to believe that there's some ulterior motive or that they don't really want to help, but they think it's the right thing to do, or they're saying they want to help, but um, believe and trust that when someone says or offers some type of support or help to you, it's because they actually, they want to do it. So um, those are my three. I love it. Tell us about your book and your new book and where, to, where we can find you. Yeah. So the book, it, it, you know, so funny with the, what's going on in the world right now, the launch. So the print launch of my book, the ebook was launched uh, about a year ago and the cycle from self-published ebook to, you know, traditionally published print book is about a year. So it landed us with my publication launch date last week in the middle <laughs> store signing at Indigo and having a big um, sort of open house launch party, bringing all these people back into my life to celebrate this big thing. Uh, so that's had to shift gears a little bit, but I'm excited to say the print copy is now available. If you're someone who likes, you know, to have the feel of a book in your hand, I've got yeah, show us a here, which is fun. There's something nice about seeing it in print. Oh, I love it. So um, you can order it uh, in all your sort of normal book outlets, you know, uh, Barnes and Nobles in the U.S., Indigo in Canada, um, Amazon, and some of the more indie publishers or, or local bookshops who are doing online things. So that's exciting. And I've loved getting, I've loved getting the feedback from those who have it and have read it. And um, one, of the, one of the pieces that I love to get love to hear is I can hear you like people who know mm. me and my intention in the book was to have it be very conversational and not sciencey and and unapproachable but like you and I are having a conversation and I'm helping guide you through you know the choices you're making around food and consider things kind of like the conversation we had here so I love I have loved hearing from people that it's like I, it's like you're talking to me and I'm like yes I did it I got that piece so um if you if you aren't you know if you if the paper is not something you feel you need to have or want to have I am giving away free copies of the ebook um through my website so I just want to get it into hands right now and if an ebook is something you'd like or you know if you want both awesome but you can get that at www.irenepace.com. And uh, there's a button you can click and, and you'll get a copy of the ebook. So that's what's going on with, with Eat Like You Teach right now. And then in quarantine, um, I, I felt the calling and the pull to, to write this second book, which is, which is a much smaller one and very tools focused. So it's about tools to help guide folks who are navigating working from home at a time, um, whether that continues after um, our quarantine, quarantine times lift or we start moving out, I, I suspect there'll be a lot more of us doing work from home with some of the challenges that go along with that. So that one is called um, Eating from Home, uh, <laughs> How to Keep the Weight Off While Working Remotely. So 
that one will be e-copy available probably early to mid-June and then print copies shortly thereafter. I'll just self-publish that one and get it out so um, people can get their hands on it. So that's what's going on in the book space. And yeah, lots of opportunities to do things like this, I think, too, and have conversations now when people are at home and could use could use the uh, the tools and and the company and the laughs and all the fun things that go along with this too. So, um, yeah. And what is your final request of the audience? Oh. What's your invitation? What's your invitation? Yeah, I love it. Well, my invitation is to uh, play around with accepting the invitation from food. So play around with what it would be like to feel a craving or pull to food and allow that craving to invite you into a moment of pause. So feel the pull, the tool is kind of feel the pull and then add a pause. And in that pause, allow yourself to explore what's going on with your eating. So the, the gift of food is that there's about, you know, we feel we make about 200 food decisions every day. 200. So if you were to show up to even like one tenth of those with the intention to practice this tool of feeling that pull and pausing, I mean, that's, you know, um, 20, 20 mindful moments in your day that you didn't have before whether you choose to eat or not, the success in the practice is that you, you're beginning to reshape what that pull to food means to you in your life and you get to experience it differently. So that's it. my invitation. Irene, I want to acknowledge you. I have seen you like just from the sidelines transform. I've seen you invest in yourself heavily, uh, really connect with a powerful community and contribute so much to it and like, and go through the process of writing your first book. And now your second book, like you are evolving at such a rapid pace. And at the same time, the way that you teach and what you teach comes from such a loving and patient and heartfelt place that doesn't like, it doesn't just talk about the surface stuff. And this is what I really appreciate is the fact that you go so deep. You go way beyond just what's on your plate, what's at the end of your fork. And I think this is such a such an important conversation that we all need to have. And I thank you for opening up the space for us to consider these possibilities that it, maybe it's not just am I eating the right, you know, the right diet? It's maybe it's deeper than that. It's, it's looking at our past, looking at our story, looking at, you know, how these ways of eating has served us in the past. I think it's um, something that's so necessary and your ability to communicate it and articulate it and have these different ways to really just get at it. So it goes straight to the root um, I think is a, is a really, really important gift. So thank you so much for sharing it with me, sharing it with us. And I so, so appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. And I celebrate you for all that you're doing with this show. And um, our connection has been a gift for me. So thanks, Oliver. Thank you.